I'd already skied 70 miles when I finally reached the Rabbit Lake checkpoint. And it's about a third of the way around the Iditaski uh, course in 1987, and I had planned to stop there to rest and refuel and rehydrate. The temperature was minus 10, and I needed to boil some water and cook some food fast. Fortunately, race officials had cut a small hole about 50 yards away down a trail. They cut a small hole into Rabbit Lake so that uh, we wouldn't have to melt snow for our water. And so uh, I took off my ski boots and put on my polar guard booties, put on my down bibs, my down coat, you know, getting warmed up, getting ready to boil some water and cook some food. And trotted down this trail feeling pretty good about myself. I was on schedule, and uh, I was having fun. Well, I got down to the water hole uh, and kind of had to kneel down with my two big water containers uh, to fill them up. And as I'm standing up, the entire shelf beneath me just collapses, just crumbles. And I really want to emphasize this point because later there were a lot of questions. I did not slip into the hole. And I did not fall into the hole. An icy vortex just swallowed me up. And suddenly, I'm treading bottomless ice water and screaming for my life. And frantically, I'm pushing up on the nearest shelf of snow and ice to get up, and it's just collapsing. Once, twice, three, four times, it just collapses, just like styrofoam. And my down clothing is soaking, is get, it's just soaking through to the bone and getting heavier and heavier. It's like pulling me down with like wet cement. And so I, as I'm sinking down into this icy abyss, I, I'm thinking to myself, this is it. This is how I'm going to go. And um, strangely, what I remember most is that there was no fear of death. I was not afraid to die at that point. But when I started thinking about it, I was like, this is a ski race. In Alaska, in early February, and sub-zero temperatures, I, can't, I cannot be drowning. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is preposterous. And I, I just felt like how difficult this is going to be for race officials to explain to my friends and family and loved ones. It's just like, this is going to ruin the family name. And it's just like, I can't go this way. I just cannot go in this ridiculous way. So I flicked off my Polar Guard booties, which were like cement at that point, and, and grabbed onto that last shelf and pulled myself up. And just, uh, I was calmer now, not so desperate. I'm realizing now that I really can die if I, if I don't take a different strategy. So I kind of inch my way up with this walrus-like seal crawl up onto the ice, get spread eagle, and then I roll over on all fours, and I'm just coughing and hacking up water and thanking the Lord that I did not drown. And uh, I try to stand up, but I can't. Uh, I'm just frozen to the surface. Of, you know, four points of contact. I can't move. <laughs> my body is shaking uncontrollably. And I can feel my clothing just freezing around me. Somehow, I managed to stand up. And like a cross between, you know, a wet Michelin man and the tin man without any oil, <laughs> I'm staggering and trying to run to get to that checkpoint, which as I know is my only hope for survival. And as I'm running, my clothing's 
crackling and popping, and I burst through the door and almost tackled that little wood stove, and I'm telling the race official my story, and he assumes I'm going to scratch. He says, we're going to take care of you. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. We'll get you warmed up. We'll get you out of here on the next snow machine. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know I can stay at a checkpoint uh, for uh, up to eight hours without being disqualified. And I'd really appreciate it if you gave me some time to dry out, warm up, get something to eat before we make any hasty decisions about whether to scratch or not. I wasn't sure I could make it to Squint, but I, I wasn't ready to scratch at that point. And as racers came in and out of the checkpoint, I'd tell them my story as I'm drying stuff up and trying to get some food in me and recover. And the racer I remember most was Dick Griffith. He came in, uh, he already had bro uh, prophylactic duct tape on his nose. Looks like his glass has been repaired a couple times. And when I told him my story, he just scowled at me like I was some foolish young whippersnapper, which I was. <laughs> but when I told him that I was going to continue the race, he reached into his bag and pulled out a brand new pair of bright red, thick, dry wool socks and skied off on down the trail to Squintna. Now, it was hours later that I finally escaped from Rabbit Lake Checkpoint. My legs were wobbly and numb, and my brain started to see things that weren't, weren't there. <laughs> but I, after many prayers and hallucinations, I did make it to Squintna, where you could get a hot shower, which I did, a spaghetti dinner, which I did, and a massage, which I did twice. <laughs> of course, uh, Dick had left uh, Squint away ahead of me, but on the trail, I skated right by him. And uh, he was doing his old man classic shuffle, you know. And I promised I'd give him those, um, those socks back. But every, every checkpoint I got into, I just collapsed, you know, horizontal. I'm just like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay here for a while. And he was in and out the door in minutes. And we kind of played this tortoise and hare game all the way down from Squint uh, through Riversong and Yenton and all the way down to Big Sioux, which was the last checkpoint before the finish line at Knick Lake. And um, my goals for the race had had to change. I wanted to finish in the top 20. That was out of the question. And then I, I got to the point where I, I knew I could probably finish the race. But now I wanted to beat Dick Griffith. <laughs> I mean, back in 87, he was, he was old back then. And I was certainly younger back then. And uh, I, I really wanted to beat Dick Griffith, but it was not meant to be. When I got to the finish line, I, I was delirious. I collapsed. Got poured in the back of a car, and my sweetie drove me to the nearest dock in the box. And one of the last things I remember was Dick uh, Griffith eating this huge hamburger and guzzling a beer like it was a Sunday picnic. Well, at the award ceremony, uh, a couple of uh, weeks later, they gave me a couple of items. Uh, one says, presented to Bruce Hamler, first original I did a swimmer. And they gave me a polar bear with the I did a ski patch on it. And uh, one final note, um, Dick and I both finished the race that year in a little bit over 60 hours. I spent <clears throat> 30 hours on the trail skiing and over 30 hours in the checkpoints. Dick Griffith spent over 50 hours on the trail skiing and less than 10 in the checkpoints. The man continues to be an inspiration. 
Uh, he's a living legend that deserves it, and I still owe him a pair of Red Wolf socks. <laughs> <laughs>